0: Good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. We're going to, can I just start by thanking Des and Rosemary and the mission team for their presentation this morning. A huge amount of thanks to you for doing that for us as a church. But before I speak, actually I'd like us to do something. I'd like us all to take the sheep that you had, that you were given in, as you weigh in. I wish you to take home and one of the things we're looking at this morning is is how we keep the momentum of our Christian life, but also our church life going. Each one of these organizations will be facing challenges or couples or families will be facing challenges. Some of you will know something about them. Some of you will know virtually nothing about them. But even if in the simplest level you say, Lord, will you bless them? Will you bless the work of the hands? I want us to take a minute in quiet. and I'd like you to choose one or two of them just to pray silently for some of their partners that we have. So let's take a minute of quiet. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of playing our part in your work in this world. We thank you for those partners um, across the world, both in this city but also around different nations, different continents thank you for the many people that have been part of this community this worshiping community have gone out over decades and over centuries even to serve you to bless others to share the good news of jesus we just continue to pray lord that you would extend our vision beyond ourselves what we can do to see what you're calling us to and we ask your blessing on each of these um, families on each of these organizations in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen great would if you'd like to have your bible open in front of you on page 487 we're going to have a look at nehemiah chapter 4 We're looking at the life of this man, Nehemiah. Uh, We're rooted in the 5th century BC. uh, For those who uh, weren't here last Sunday, Um, he was cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. And we learned that Nehemiah received a report about the the destruction and the ruins of both the people but also the city of Jerusalem. And he was brokenhearted at this news. He saw the condition of his people and the condition of the city and his heart was broken to the extent that he spent four months mourning over the state of his people, but also over the state of the city. In that great prayer in Nehemiah 1, he cries out to God on behalf of the people, in solidarity with the people, that God would come again and restore them. And then we saw in Nehemiah too that he went from praying to start to get busy in terms of putting a plan together about how that was going to happen, about how the walls were going to get rebuilt, about working with the different people um, to enable that to happen. And we thought a little bit when we were thinking about that, the challenges Nehemiah faced, to think about what are the challenges each one of us have faced in our own lives that we need to be honest about where we are and the things that we're facing in our lives. Quite a number of you have come up to me and said, how big are the challenges that you are facing that many people really only know the tip of the iceberg about what's really going on in your life. But looking honestly at the challenges in life, lives, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by that. As we spent all the time looking at the brokenness, it's easy to look at that, but Naomi moved from that place of being overwhelmed to surrendering it all to God, then seeing, God, what have you called me to do? What steps do I need to take to move from that place? And I wonder how your life is going with that this week, whether you've spent any time praying, whether you've taken any steps are there any things you're actively pursuing? Most of us recognize, as Brian introduced right at in the beginning, that when we're involved in something, um, it requires effort. It requires attention or it requires energy to make things happen. Things don't tend to. They may in your life, but they don't certainly in my life often. They don't tend to just happen by themselves. You actually need to put time, energy, and effort to get things moving. Once you get a glimpse of somewhere you want to go or something you want to achieve, or what it is you do, it actually takes momentum to start to get things moving, but then to keep things moving once you start to move in that direction. It's a little bit like um, with my kids, uh, trying to teach them to, to, to ride a bike You know, when you're first teaching, they spend all the time stopping and you're trying to explain to them But by stopping all the time, they're spending so much energy getting going again. That's why their legs, uh, you know, hurt them so much. What you do is you get all that energy to get going, then it doesn't take that much energy to keep going. Actually just let the pedals move, get in the rhythm of getting it to move and actually you move really nicely and really smoothly rather than keeping stopping. And keeping staff again. And actually, it's a lovely moment when you find yourself, when you're riding a bike, when you get a slight um, decline if that's the right word, I'm, rather than incline when actually uh, the momentum of gravity, as well, just you know, it's flowing. It's great. You know, it's a lovely feeling. There are other p- passages of life. Someone asked me relatively recently um, how I was doing and what I was seeing, where you go through seasons where it feels like. One of my favorite phrases, you're pushing snowballs uphill. You know, this thing is getting bigger, it's getting heavier, you're having put a lot of effort in, you know it's the right thing. But it just seems to get bigger the more you move towards the challenge God's given you for what it is. It's not always easy, but it grows. And we're looking this morning at uh, Nehemiah and the opposition he faced As he began to put in place the plan that he had, God had given him a vision. He was serious, Nehemiah was serious about seeing this fulfilled, about seeing the walls rebuilt around Jerusalem. Not just for his own good, but for the good of his people, but also for the future and seeing the people protected and secure. And he was committed to keeping that job moving forward, even when he faced all sorts of opposition in that time. Nehemiah understood the difficulty if you just lose momentum, if you give up, if you stop. Actually, with the things that come against us, we'll see how Nehemiah responded to that, to allowing things to keep moving even when resistance comes our way. I wonder, when I was uh, thinking about uh, pursuing the call to ordination, become a vicar. I remember having a number of conversations with one of my, uh, well, my vicar at the time. And we had lots of conversations about lots of things. But one of the things he said to me that really struck me was that he grew up in a church and his parents were Christians. So he had a church upbringing all his life. He'd been a vicar for 25 years, 30 years. A really good, godly man. But one of the things he said to me was this. He said, you know, my parents, and, who were both Christians, and my church didn't really prepare me for the real world. They said that if you believed in God's promises, it would all be fine. If I read my Bible, it'd be fine. If I went to church on Sunday, it would be fine. And when life was good, it was great. But when the opposition came, I found myself ill-equipped to deal with the challenges coming my way when life didn't go the way I thought it should, or thought it needed to. He's been a Christian many years, and as we look at Scripture, and we see through Scripture again, we see how God calls us into the real world, in real situations, to live for him. But I wonder what your story is. If you made a commitment to be a follower of Jesus, I wonder when you first did that, and you were excited, By the reality of that, you heard the good news, you thought, I want to respond to that good news and give my life to Jesus. I experienced forgiveness for the first time, the forgiveness of God, and felt the lightness in my life. And knowing that my sins were forgiven, that I was free, that I could know a God who loved me with an overwhelming love in a way that I'd never experienced through any human love I'd come across that no longer was this division between me and God, but God and I were reconciled. We were together. I knew that I had the promise of eternal life. I no longer needed to be consumed by anxieties of the future. But I knew that my future was secure with God for eternity. I knew the love, the peace, and the joy of becoming and knowing a God who loved me. Maybe that was your first experience. But then what happened when things started to get a bit tough? You know, when opposition came your way? When the people you live with or people you were friends with sneered at you? Said, you become a Christian? Why, Why would you do that? I mean, why would you do that? What would any sensible person think about doing that? Or the doubt started to get to root in your life as you listen to what the world thinks. And you thought, well, the world seems to think all this, and I believe this, and, you know, where do I sit with that? And some of the doubts start to creep in, and you start to think, Lord, where am I? Or difficulties arrive at work or with other sorts of things, with health, with the challenges of a vision God has given you for your life, and suddenly there's opposition to you. It's not as straightforward, it's not as automatic as imagined, and it's very easy for our Christian lives when the opposition comes against us for us to effectively grind to a halt. Nehemiah 4 shows us this morning what Nehemiah did when all sorts of different opposition came his way, and let's look at it together. We're going to go through it very quickly, but we're going to go through it. So in verses 1 to 6, we see that the first opposition Nehemiah faced was taunting and ridicule from the people who had a lot to gain by Jerusalem staying as it was as the building project started to go. Sambalat, we see, was very angry in verse 1. It's serious. He's not just slightly angry. There's vicious and prolonged attacks against Nehemiah They were intended to discourage him. Intended to embarrass him, they're intended to dishearten Nehemiah and the people that came against it. Nehemiah, remember, would be surrounded on his sides and all the different people mentioned here. Were coming against him. Tobiah leveled an insult that we see in verse three. Hey, it's like if a little fox jumped on your wall, it would come crumbling down. Tap you on the head, your little wall, your little project, you little Christian not worth anything, or all fall down. Just a fox wandering around would destroy the work that God has given you. Most of us will have faced, at some point in our lives, the ridicule of others, the discouragement of others, and it literally can take the wind out of our sails. Instead of listening to God and what God wants, we hear the voices of many people around us and we lose faith, we, re- we lose sight of what God has asked us to do as the voices coming against us grow in clamour, whether that's sharing our faith or committing our lives to follow Jesus or getting involved in the things you know God has called you to, going to serve the poor, going to heal others, getting involved in all sorts of different ministries or simply just putting him first. Nehemiah faced all this opposition. And then we find again, as we found last week, in verse 4, Nehemiah got to pray, asking God for intervention on the challenges that he was facing. And after praying and spending time again by committing all those things to God, Nehemiah then got his people back to work. They didn't let the harsh or insulting words take root in their lives to stop them. But they carried on working on the tasks they were given until the job was effectively, as it says in verse 6, halfway done. Many of us will have grown up of a certain generation with that great old saying that goes something like this. It goes that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Anybody here like to claim that that's true? It's not true, is it? It really isn't true. It really isn't true. Our words have real power. Have real power. Even before I became a vicar, it was very obvious to me that was the case in working with people, but actually even more so now that I'm a vicar. To see the power of words over people's lives what people believe about themselves. That may not just be what they say, but they believe some of the things other people have said about them. It Might have been 30 years ago for a range of people I was involved with in one of the last churches. I can't tell you the number, there was about four or five people who were in their 40s, 50s, 60s maybe, who um, they were thinking about studying a bit more about theology and said, but Tim, I'm thick. My parents told me I was. I believed it. That's a life I've lived I am not going to study. That was a lie. And they then picked up the baton and they did extraordinary things by studying. Many of us need the challenge again to say, who are we listening to about who we are and what we're saying about it? Are we giving too much room to the criticism and the ridicule over our lives? Tying ourselves up, tying others up, allowing them to be crushed by the power of our words. Are we releasing them into what God has called each one of us to? We don't need to believe the lies that others speak or belittle over us. Like Nehemiah, we can cry out to God, be protected and delivered from that, and keep us free to live the life God's called us to. So firstly, against ridicule. Secondly, there were threats and troubles in verses 7 to 9. Ridicule didn't work, so Sambalat, Tabar, and the others took took things up a notch against Nehemiah and his people, and they faced the rumor of an all-out attack from the Arabs, the Ammonites, and Ashadites. Now, as um, may be Nehemiah, as I said at the beginning, you get through that first bit of opposition, you think, you know, things are going to quiet down. But actually, I don't know whether you've experienced this, but Dude, now the battle intensifies, he's got through that bit, and it seems to get worse. A greater trouble is now a possibility. We hope that the problems or the challenges we've got through will go away, but actually find the temperature increases rather than decreases. And Nehemiah's response here is beautiful. as an example of when opposition comes against us. Again, we see in verse 9, Nehemiah prayed. But he also did something else, he didn't just pray, he posted a guard. He prayed and then he took action to protect his project and what God had called him to. Prayer and action. It's a picture of trusting God, but also actively standing guard for what God had called him to at the same time. They knew when it came to it that only God could deliver them but they also needed to do their bit to live that out in a very real way. The Christian life is a both and way of living. It's not an either or Christian living, it's not prayer or action, it's both prayer and action. As we seek to live that faithful balance in our life. And thirdly, we find he also faced fatigue and disappointment in verses 10 to verse 15. Every time Nehemiah, his people, and this kind of massive project, they became tired and discouraged, we see. And this happens to most of us at some point in time in the challenges we face. Why were the people discouraged? We see in verse 10 the strength of the workers was giving out. We see there was so much rubble, that it just seemed an impossible job in verse 10. We see in verse 11 that they feared their enemies could strike them at any moment, would overcome them. Then in verse 12, we see that the people who lived near the city told them that wherever they went, they would be in the way. The picture we get is of people who worked hard, but they've just reached a point where they're tired, they're dejected, they're exhausted, And the project, to be honest, is just too big for them. Just too big. The challenge in front of us is just too big. But even when that was the case, this couldn't stop Nehemiah and his people. And they took three clear actions that we'll see in 13, 14, and 15. First, they stationed men and weapons at the very low point, the most vulnerable point of the walls, where they were vulnerable to attack which by doing that brought the people hope and confidence. Secondly, Nehemiah uh, then called the people to remember who God was, to reflect on the might, his might, his power. He was the one who would deliver them. He was the one who was faithful. He was the one who was powerful. As we focus again away from our situation but turn our eyes towards God and focus on who God is, it brought a fresh perspective again to them. And then thirdly, Nehemiah called them to, to, to re-energize them and refocus them again on the task that was in front of them, that why this project mattered to them. That their homes, their families were at risk. And this refocused them again to get to what God had called them to. These three things that Nehemiah did enable them to move from beyond that place of frustration, of tiredness, of um, exhaustion even, to begin the work again. I wonder this morning what discouragement you're facing in the challenges that uh, you're facing up to in your life this morning. I wonder how you can keep the momentum going on the challenges you're being faced with Wonder whether, like Nehemiah, one of the things you just need to sit down and think clearly and make sure you've got a plan about what you're going to do about it. Or actually, do you just need to get your eyes off the challenge and get them Godward again? Just get to spend some time focusing on who God is, how good he is. He's worked through the history, his work in your life and affirming who God is. And spend some time there. But you need to remind yourself why this matters, what it is you're facing, why, why it's so important. So you find a place where God renews you and renews your strength, we sang at the beginning of the service. That we find strength again for whatever it is God is we're calling with us to face the challenges we're facing. And then lastly, we find um, all out attack um, in 1623. And they got back to work again in verse 16, and they kept building even though the opposition was there. This time they were prepared to defend themselves, and at the same time they kept working as they carried their shields, their bows, and their arrows. One hand to build the wall, one hand to hold a weapon. Now obviously this slows people down, it became a slower process, but it is a picture for us of tenacity and resilience and perseverance in whatever it is that God has called us to. Now I know today, it's especially in the light of the world news around the world, that some can be very uncomfortable with the sort of military language that is captured in this passage. But there is a very real battle in this world over our lives, over the church's life, and over our personal lives, and our families' lives, if we want to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. We never fight alone, as we see in verse 20, our God fights for us. This is not something we do on our own, but as Nehemiah prayed and reaffirmed that the God, is God who called him to this, as we partner with him. So in the Christian life, how do we fight? If we take that language, how do we stand? The Christian life, and the, those of you who know your scripture really well will know there are lots of things in scripture that we can draw on, come back to. There is a real enemy, but it's not an equal fight, for it's God who has won the victory decisively on the cross and through his resurrection, that we stand in the light of his victory when opposition comes. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can come in assurance that we stand on the victory side, that all the paths of hell, of evil, the sin of this world, have been defeated and we're no longer our inheritance is no longer to be slaves to fear and anxieties but to be overcomers with god as we stand with him together i've left uh, on your seat and during communion um there's five bible verses And I wonder whether in communion you could just take some time. If you're struggling in the battle that you're facing, the challenges that you're facing, and you actually need to get your eyes off the battle, on the task, and you need to get your eyes upwards towards God, just spend a little bit of time reminding yourselves of who we stand with and how we enable ourselves to reorient ourselves towards God. We give thanks for his victory, his power, his authority. That it's his kingdom, his name, that we proclaim and celebrate and the church has done over 2,000 years. Father, would you come afresh? Would you fall afresh by your spirit upon us, upon our households, upon our work, upon our um, leisure, and upon all that we do in this city? Would you breathe your life, would you breathe your power afresh in us and amongst us for all that we've called us to? Would you breathe your life not just into this church, but into each one of us as you go out from here? We come in his authority, his power, out into the world. Nehemiah, as many of you all know, and I'm sorry, this is a terrible uh, little phrase, Nehemiah walked the walk. He didn't talk a good game. He walked the walk. He lived the life God had called him to, and he faced opposition. Bear in mind, he faced opposition that was intense, multi-layered, and it'd been very easy to give up. I wonder whether you need to take some time this week, maybe, just to ask God to show you what steps you need to take in the challenges you're facing. Remember, it's not an equal battle we stand with God who has overcome for us. As we put him at the center of our lives, of all the challenges that we face, as we put the situations around it, so we ask him to go ahead of us. He's the God who goes ahead of us in all our challenges. So I wonder whether that would help you. And I'm gonna encourage you to do a couple of things uh, this morning before we come to communion. Communion, we celebrate again the story of Jesus Christ, Do we come and renew, be renewed by him for all that God has called us to. But on the way to communion, I've also left, um, it risks a little bit of chaos, but hopefully not too much chaos. Uh, lift, I left a little yellow post-it note before Easter. Uh, one of the things we did for those who prayed in this building was that if you have a challenge or you've got opposition in your life or whatever it else it is that is coming against you and you're struggling with that. Just write what that is and as you come to communion just stick it to the cross afresh. Some of us face challenges and then we, pick, we lay them at the foot of the cross then we pick them all up again, we don't leave them there and we restart to try and go back again and again and again to the same things that have been dealt with. And and God calls us again to bring those things to him, um, to, to, to offer them afresh to him, those situations, and ask for his transforming power that the death and resurrection of Jesus does for us. So if you'd like to do that as we go through communion, as you come out to communion, just pop something. We're going to take a minute of quiet at the end of this. You may just want to meditate on the promises of God, something of the promises of God, quietly during communion this morning, and I encourage you to do that but I'm going to encourage you to do one other thing this morning as we come to communion. Um, how are we doing time-wise? Um, here, people own a mobile phone? How are we doing? Pe- gen- generally, people own a mobile phone? Could I ask you to do something today? Could I ask you to take your phone out if you do own a mobile phone? Don't worry if you don't. It's all right. It's not, we don't have to respond every, every, the same way all the time. And can I encourage you to to prayerfully think of somebody you need to encourage today? Somebody you'd like to pray for and to actually physically send them a text. It may just say praying for you today, that's fine. It may be that actually God has given you something just to encourage them and you know the challenges they're facing. We never face our challenges on our own. We do it as a community together. We have the opportunity to bless others by actually sharing and saying, Do you know, I'm praying for you today. I want to encourage you today with something, and whatever that is. Might be just telling somebody you love them, might be saying you pray for them. Can I encourage you to do that? If you want to take a few minutes to do that, we're going to have a minute of quiet. Uh, just reflect on what God is saying to you in that. Let me just pray, and then we'll have a moment of quiet before James leads us in response.